You are listening to episode number 10 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Hey, hey, this month we have been focusing every episode on strategies for balancing multiple preps. Last week in episode nine, we covered how to lesson plan for three or more preps. And today we are going to talk about how to manage grading for all of those preps. Let's get started. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. The two biggest struggles I experienced, and I hear from you that you are experiencing with attempting to balance multiple preps, are one, lesson planning for all of those preps, and two, grading for all of those preps. So if you missed last week's episode, make sure to go back and give episode number nine a listen because that's where I'm sharing my five best tips for how to lesson plan for three or more preps. And in today's episode, we're gonna specifically address struggle number two, which is grading for all of those preps. Now I know you're thinking, but I have a reason for grading all of these things that I'm constantly grading. But hear me out, teacher friend. I spend a lot of time talking to teachers. It's arguably 50% of what I do. And I can tell you with total confidence that nearly every teacher I talk to grades way more than they need to or should be grading. Balancing multiple preps requires making tough decisions because you only have so much time and you only have so much energy. And one of those tough decisions is changing how you grade. You have to stop grading everything. And then when you do grade something, it must be incredibly intentional. So it really begins by simply making the decision here and now that it is best for both you and your students if you stop grading everything. Why? There are so many reasons, but here are just a few. First, you will reclaim so much time that can be spent doing other things, like finding new fun labs or engaging activities for your students. You will have more free time and you'll also then be more recharged so that when you are at school, you'll have more energy to love your students well. And then when you do collect something to grade, you're going to actually have the time and energy to provide really helpful feedback. And not only will you provide more quality feedback, but also more timely feedback because you'll be able to return things much more quickly since you won't be constantly overwhelmed by a stack of papers on the corner of your desk that you need to grade. So, Once you've made the decision to really try this because you believe it is best for you and your students, which it is, I want you to start by only collecting one thing a week per class to grade. So for example, if you teach five different preps, each day you would only be collecting one thing from one class. Grade it the day you collect it so that you can return it the next day. This will prevent a stack of papers from building up on your desk 
And that will majorly help to decrease your overwhelm and your backlog of grading that we all get. And then once you get comfortable with that, start decreasing it even more. I got to the point where I was only collecting and grading things two to three times a week total. It was life-changing. I never had to bring work home to grade, and I was always able to return work within 24 hours of collecting it. And my students loved the immediate feedback. It was so fun because I no longer had students like chasing me through the halls asking when I'd have their tests graded because they knew that they were going to get them back the next day. And that relieved a lot of anxiety for my students as well. And my family loved it because they had me back because I wasn't staying up late grading or when we were trying to watch a movie together, I was grading papers at the same time and not really giving them the quality time that I wanted to. Now, I know you're hearing me say all this and you have questions, which is completely understandable. So I want to talk through the two criticisms that I hear most often about this strategy that I use to decrease my grading time. And those are one, so how do you have enough grades in the grade book? And two, how do you check in then and know where your students really are? So let's start with the first one. How do I have enough grades in my grade book then if I'm only collecting things a handful of times a week? It starts with the fact that I keep my grade book very simple. I've mentioned this before, but I only have two categories, a major category and a minor category or formal and informal. Or another way of looking at it is summative and formative. And I think this makes a really big difference, having this really simple grade book. I'll link a blog post in my show notes that talks more about how I've simplified my grade book in this way. So you can look at that later. And here's the deal. I still am grading a lot of assignments. I just check and grade them for completion and I do it during class. I also don't assign homework. So all of the assignments I'm grading for completion are ones that students are doing in my classroom in front of me. So personally, I feel comfortable and confident grading for completion, knowing that I'm monitoring my students the whole time, and I know that they're not cheating because I can see what they're doing. This isn't just something that like they scribbled in the hallway on their way into class just to have something to show me. It's something I saw them working on and engaging with their peers with and asking me questions on in class. I also love to grade completion because then we can immediately discuss and go over. This is like my absolute favorite thing about spot checking things for completion. It is so much more effective than me collecting 200,000 things and then returning them days and potentially weeks later when my students don't even remember doing them anyway. When I spot check something we've done in class for completion, Then students have it right in front of them. They're looking at it and we can get immediate feedback right away as a class. As I'm going through it, I can answer their questions. They can have their eyes on it and their ears on me and they can say, okay, well, what about this part or this part? And we can clear misconceptions up right away as opposed to me collecting something and giving it back four days later. And I know you can collect things and then go over it right there, but then they're not looking at their own work in front of them. And I really think that makes a big difference. Okay, so that addresses my opinions on the first criticism, but still this means I'm not getting that one-on-one check-in with students. Because even when you're spot checking, yes, you can see that they've completed the work, but you're not really reading every word that they've written and making sure they got it. 
So how do I check in and know where my students are? Because that's the other reason most of us are grading is we want to know, do our students know what the heck is going on? And that's where my prime times come in. Prime times are my most essential secondary classroom procedure. They are my not so secret number one strategy for both classroom management and assessment. If you have been around my corner of the internet for any amount of time, you've heard me talk about them. Because not only do I feel like they make the first five minutes of my class so much smoother, I feel like they are have majorly made it possible to decrease my grading time. So a prime time is basically my fancy name for a bell ringer. And I call it that because I feel like the first few minutes of class are the prime time for setting the tone for how the rest of the class is going to run. What initially started as honestly just a procedural thing so that I could take attendance and change materials over between my classes grew into something so much more when I realized how effective these were as an assessment tool. And I've talked about prime times before and how I use my, them to engage my students in the first five minutes of class. So if you missed episode four, head back to that episode of the podcast and listen so you can hear about how it engages my students. So again, the main way you're going to revolutionize your grading workload is by cutting down on the actual amount of assignments you collect and grade, but that's not all you can do. So there are three other tips I want to share with you to instantly decrease your grading time and really cut your overall grading time in half. So yes, I want you to do like a quick daily bell ringer with your students That way you can check in with them daily and know where they are because you're seeing these few questions, what they said here. But then other than that, I want you to grade everything else for completion or not at all. I have found that most students need me to grade things in order for them to be motivated to put in any amount of effort, at least with my underclassmen. I didn't have this problem as much with my juniors and seniors, but I am just one person. And I simply cannot grade each and every little thing we do, especially because I like to change what we're doing in my classes like every 15 minutes. So we're constantly switching things up and doing a lot of different things in one class. I cannot possibly assess all of that. So instead, about half of what I'm doing with students is going ungraded. And what I do is I have popsicle sticks with everyone's names on them and we draw names and we go over them in class. And then the rest I'm just spot checking for a really small completion grade so that we can immediately go over it in class. Doing it this way ensures that we always have enough grades in the grade book that are going to satisfy admin and parents, but it also ensures that students' overall grades are a fair reflection of all that we're doing in my class. I personally, again, I feel comfortable grading things for completion or as some say for effort because I don't assign homework. So all of these grades are coming from classwork that I've monitored students doing and I know has been done authentically. Y'all, I hate cheating. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anyone who likes cheating, but it's just something that really, really bothers me. And it's a huge reason why I just stopped doing homework entirely And by grading in-class work for completion, it kind of took the pressure off again of kids just like scrambling to find the right answers during lunch before they got to my class. And it really, students started caring more about just doing their best. It gave them the freedom to just try because it wasn't all about having the right answers. We are doing this so you can learn, not so you can get a 10 out of 10 for accuracy. 
And again, it serves them and me because it allowed me to majorly decrease my grading time and work towards the goal of cutting my grading time in half overall. Now, I know you're thinking, Rebecca, what about the labs? Labs are such a huge part of what we do as secondary science teachers, and they can take up an insane amount of our time outside of the classroom, from prepping to cleaning up, and then, of course, grading them. So how did I decrease grading time with labs specifically? Here's my second big tip. Only grade one section of a lab at a time and then peer grade the rest. I simply chose to stop grading labs in their entirety. It would have taken me hours to grade all of my labs and all five of my preps, including AP Biology, and it just simply wasn't possible. It just, there, were, it, there was not enough hours in the week to do it. So instead, I started collecting labs like usual but not informing students which section or sections I would be grading for accuracy that time. So sometimes when I collected a lab, I would only actually look at their graphs. Other times, I'd only read their analyses. If I chose to grade their hypotheses, then I would often grade their conclusions too, since those two sections are shorter and they can kind of tie together. But only once a semester did I grade a lab start to finish from beginning to end. And this makes grading labs so much faster. And students try hard on the entire lab still because they don't know which section I'm going to choose to grade that time. So then what I will do is when I return the labs the next day, I would definitely count it for less points, by the way. I'm not going to give them 100 points based on just one graph I graded. So I would count it for less points based on how much I actually graded for accuracy. But then when I return the labs the next day, I would have them swap with their peers And then we still go through all the other sections because I want to make sure that they learned from those sections. And now this does take some training so they can provide quality feedback to their peers. So if you don't want to put that time in earlier in the year, you can have students just self-grade as opposed to peer grade. But it can be as simple as this. You return the labs and say, okay, I graded all of y'all's analyses and conclusions, but right now we're going to give each other feedback on our graphs. So look at your neighbor's graph. Does it have a title? Does the title accurately describe what the graph shows? You know, instead of being some cutesy title that students love to do. Are you able to clearly identify the independent and dependent variables from their graph? Are both axes clearly labeled, including units, if it's applicable for the lab? Did they make the right kind of graph? Like, is it a bar graph, but it should have been a line or something like that? And then have students say, look at the scale on the y-axis. Is it evenly spaced? Like not did they go up by fives, but often I see like a student will go up by five, so then they skip one line here and two lines there and they're not using a ruler and it's crazy. So these are the types of questions I ask them. And I found they can look a lot clearer at another's work than their own, which is one reason that I love peer grading because I think they can learn so much from each other. And again, it benefits me by allowing a major decrease in the grading time for labs. And then again, it's benefiting them because they learn more by really looking at their work or at their neighbor's work more closely. And another way you can do this is you can have them swap and kind of peer grade and provide feedback first before you collect them if you want to do that as well. Also, I know a lot of teachers will usually take a lab group and just collect one lab per group to decrease the amount they have to grade. And I totally get that, but I've tried it and it just didn't really work for me. 
I just didn't find it to be very fair. So for example, you know, one student felt like they did everything. So if I'm randomly selecting one person from the group, someone else gets upset because they didn't want that person's grade representing them. It kind of forces one student in the group to have to be a micromanager to make sure everyone's doing all the things. I felt like they copied more when it was done that way. And then also I felt like parents had a lot more opinions about my grading strategies when I did it that way. So for me personally, it just felt more fair of a solution to still be able to do the same amount of labs, but cut the grading time down by a lot by still looking at every student's, but only looking at one part of every student's. And a quick note about writing formal lab reports. I know a lot of teachers do this for every lab, and that's great if that is something you feel passionate about doing. Personally, I found that if a student can write one or two great formal lab reports in a year, they can write 10 or 15. So instead of requiring, you know, one every lab or one every quarter, I usually just do one per semester. I have them do rough drafts. They have to peer review and do feedback for those before I ever even see the final draft. So hopefully that can really decrease the amount of time I spend grading them. And another reason why I was kind of willing to give up on spending a ton of time on formal lab reports is I took a ton of science classes in my undergraduate degree as a pre-med major. And every single teacher I had in every single lab, the TA or the professor wanted the lab report written differently. And so I had to kind of learn each teacher's writing style anyway. And so of course there's skills like creating graphs and analyzing data and things that we can teach them. But like the skill of writing this perfectly written formal lab report, there's not just like one way to do that. So I felt like it was an easy thing for me to let go of and it really helped my grading load as well. So last but not least, I can't talk about how to decrease grading time without specifically talking about how to manage grading tests. So here's my secret for grading tests. You need to batch grade tests question by question. So I talked in our last episode about how I batch lesson plan. So what I mean by batch grading is you're doing, again, a lot of the same thing at once over and over because it increases efficiency and it decreases the time you're spending. So for example, if I have three sections of general CP college prep biology, and I have 75 students over those three sections, I'm going to try to plan my lesson so that they're all taking their test on the same day. So I'm going to grade all 75 biology CP cells tests at once. And I'm going to grade all of the sections in chunks. So for example, first, I will grade every single student's multiple choice. That is like the quickest thing to batch, especially if you have fancy tech and you're doing Scantron or you know, you're taking the picture and grading it, whatever. Even just doing it by hand, I still degraded multiple choice by hand and it was so fast. I mean, that's a several minutes and you're done with the multiple choice section. Then when I got to the open response, I graded every question one by one. So that's right. I promise you it's faster. So let's say I have 75 students. I'm going to read every single student's answers to question number 21 at the same time. And then I'm going to grade every single one of those 75 students' answers to question number 22 at the same time. And here's why this is so much faster than you think. One, you memorize the answer to the question you're working on, even if it's an essay, like you memorize it. And it allows you to fly through the stack of tests because you're essentially reading the same thing over and over. And two, the thing I love about this so much 
is it makes it so much more fair when you're grading because you're so much more consistent with how you reward partial credit for open response answers. Because again, you're doing them all at the same time and you lose track of whose test you're grading. So it kind of removes some bias there as well. Because if you're looking at 75 to 100 tests at once, like, yeah, you know their handwriting kind of, but when it's in a big stack, you're not really paying attention. And so it really, really helps for you to just be really objective with your grading and treat every student's answer with the same mental rubric. And it makes it so much better the next day. You won't have those conversations when you're going over a test where someone's saying, you took two points off on my test when I said this, but you only took one point off of Josh and he said the same thing. So it kind of eliminates that drama, which is so nice. And again, it is so much faster, especially if you create tests with separate answer sheets, this goes so quickly. And the reason is, is because if you have like a one to two page answer sheet that you're just having to flip back and forth instead of a six to eight page test that you're like flipping through every page, it just goes a lot faster. I started doing this originally to decrease copies because I reuse my tests every year and then I'm only having to actually recopy answer sheets every year. But then I found it was actually saving me time when I was grading too, and it made my stack of what I had to grade a lot less overwhelming. So I really, really encourage you to do that too if you don't already. I'm telling you with all sincerity that implementing these strategies legitimately cut my grading time in half, and honestly, maybe even more than that. The more I committed to grading this way, the easier it became to collect and grade less and less without feeling guilty about it. So hear me when I say this. You can decrease your grading time and create more space to do all the other things that are on your plate. It just requires you to make some changes to how you do things. So my question for you is, are you willing to make some changes? If you aren't quite ready yet, stay tuned for next week's episode. I'm bringing on a guest that I've interviewed who has managed seven preps at once, and she's going to share her experience with balancing all of those things. And I can promise you if she can do it, anyone can because it's a lot. So hopefully that episode will encourage you to take that step forward in simplifying your workload if none of these episodes this month have so far. And if you are ready to do a serious revamp of how you do all of the parts of your job, you might be interested in taking the Secondary Science Simplified course this summer. So this is a virtual professional development course I wrote and ran last year with over 120 secondary science teachers where we walk through simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher together. So I want you to think of it as basically the most practical PD you've ever had. And it's all entirely virtual. You can do it all at your own pace from the comfort of your home. But then we do have like live Q&A sessions and a Facebook group with a community so that you you can walk through the content alongside me and have my support with you one-on-one essentially. And then also learn from so many other educators who are walking through the same process as well. That course is what actually inspired this podcast, which is why they have the same name. But if you want more hands-on support in this, that course is for you. So you can't sign up just yet because it's only open in June because I like to do it in the summers when I have the most time and energy to really focus on the students in the course. 
but you can go ahead and join the wait list. And then that way you would be the first to know when things open up and all of that. And so if you're interested, you can head to it's not rocket science classroom.com slash waitlist for more information. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to follow so you never miss an episode, leave a review and tell all of your science teacher friends and that they can listen along too. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to itsnotrocketscienceclassroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend.